0: morning. Hey, my name is Glenn. I serve as one of the pastors here. Really glad to be here with you this morning. Grab your Bible or a device if you have one. Meet me in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16. It's really good to uh, reflect really quick up top um, every time, just the the breakdown of the book of Genesis. This is the book that we started, I don't remember when, um, as we turned into the new year. And we're going to preach this for the majority of this year and we're just making our way through the first 11 chapters of Genesis right that's behind us now that's really the beginning the origin of the human race and then from chapter 12 in Genesis all the way to chapter 50 is God's dealing with four people in particular the first of which is Abraham father Abraham so um, we, we're in the story with Abraham, we've walked through 12, 13, 14, 15, and um, by way of introduction this morning, I just want to ask, uh, if you could think of it in your mind right now, when was the last time you had a profound experience with God? You might call it a mountaintop experience with God. Um, let me give you some examples to kind of help qualify this. It can be anything from, we, you know, I went to a, uh, a conference, I went to a retreat, um, I went to a concert, you know, I went to a worship night, all the way to, I, uh, you know, I had a quiet time, and the word of God broke through, and, and uh, there were tears of rejoicing and, and happiness. Could be a hard conversation you had with somebody that needed to happen, and there was forgiveness, and you just felt and sensed God's pre- presence, could have been a moment of um, trial, suffering, despair, where the hope of Jesus Christ just flooded your heart in an unexpected way. Could have been a mission trip that you took and God just exposed you to things in our world and in his kingdom um, that you hadn't been exposed to before and you just felt changed. You felt different. Um, And here's the thing about any experience we have with God, any, any mountaintop profound connection that we feel with God. You know, it's that time where it feels like the, the clutter and the, the separation here is just like this open vessel. You guys know what I'm saying? It just feels like there's a highway, just straight from heaven to me. There's nothing in the way. There's no more clutter. Like the the, the distance between me and God is, is is razor thin, right? That That's the idea of like the mountaintop experience. You're going up high to be close and Life brings with it something, though, and it's called time. Time is this linear thing that um, it, it never changes. The clock is always ticking. And um, what happens with time is that whatever moment, experience that we had with God, time can tend to make us forgetful. Um, we, in our nature, as natural beings sin our flesh like we, we we tend over time to revert back to like making decisions and being wise in our own eyes right and and so what happens in life is that um, our hearts they very naturally begin to harden once again after we had the the experience and um, as you're as you're moving along like you have your your mountaintop experience and it just feels like life can can just do this Do you guys feel what I'm Talking about, like, trust was really high, but now it's not. Peace was really high, but now it's not. Contentment was the highest it's ever been, and now for some reason it's gone. Peace was the highest it's ever been, and now it's gone. And, and you begin to um, kind of trace your way through that. All of a sudden, the decisions that you're making, uh, the, the, the attitudes of, of your heart, the words that you're speaking, the reactions you're having, the things that you're kindling in your heart— um, those things that right now you're living in, like they would have seemed so unwise and so foolish and so crazy and outlandish if your present circumstances would have brought you to that back here when you were on the mountaintop. You know what I'm talking about? Like I wouldn't have reacted in my marriage if we got in that argument like that night, right? Or I wouldn't have, I would have, wouldn't have said that or felt that way toward them if, if that would have happened like just a couple days after God met me in that way. Um, but instead, time has passed. My heart has, has hardened. I, 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 I'm not feeling as close as, as I did. And so uh, what I choose to do with life, the thoughts that I entertain, um, they're just not what they would have been had there been closeness. I think this morning's text is, it's really interesting because I think it's going to bring us to a, an awareness that closeness with God always means clarity in, in life. Closeness with God is always going to equal clarity and distance from God is going to be a hot mess in, in our life. We, we won't think clearly. We're not going to make decisions out of a healthy place. Uh, we will be lifeless people who are meant to walk in fellowship with God, but instead we're over here and we're, we're doing the mundane things of every day, even including religious activity, but we feel so far from God and there are consequences that come from that. Like we, we end up making Dumb decisions that bring consequences in our life. If we just trace it back. When I was in college, there was a guy that I really looked up to. He, he told me a phrase that I will just never forget. He, always, he said, and he repeated it all the time, Glenn. Um, People don't drift toward God. People don't drift toward holiness and happiness in Jesus. Like, it, it does not happen by osmosis. This is just not in our nature. Like, we do the opposite, Right? I, I don't know about you, I don't wake up in the morning and like the alarm sounds and I'm singing. And I start elevating you know, toward heaven. God, you're so good. Like, no, I ha- I'm 32, all right? Now some of the people that are older generation are like, dude, stop complaining. I, I have to like get up and stretch my back now, okay? <laughs> like I, my side hurts, all right? There's probably a kid somewhere in the house screaming. Like that, we have to discipline ourselves toward closeness with God. This is the battle that we fight every day and waiting on the other side of that is so much blessing. Oh my goodness. It's abundant life. It's a life precious to God that he's purchased for us. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, I want you to to, um, pray with me and then we're just going to dive into the text. And one of my goals is that we would just humanize like the people we're reading about here. These are real people that did walk the earth and They were no different than you and I, even though the station they may have had was special. And so let's pray and let's dive into Genesis chapter 16. God, this is your holy, unfailing word. We ask as a church right now, you would anoint it with power through your spirit. Help me to get out of the way. God, would you meet us here this morning through your word in a timely, personal way? Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you desire to be our teacher, Holy Spirit. This morning, we receive your teaching before it's even come to us. Our answer is yes, God, before we even hear your word. It's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Sorry about that. Genesis 16, starting in verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Let me just paint a picture here for us, a little bit of context. Um, Sarai is still battling infertility. She makes a suggestion. Hagar, our, our slave girl, can bear the child. And this may feel strange to us today, Like, really, really strange to us today. To be honest, in the ancient world, that was more normative. It was more of a a cultural thing, an appropriate, sometimes contractual. If a wife is barren, unable to conceive, make use of a surrogate. There's so much value in continuing the family line and and, and in offspring. And so, um, here's the thing. This is just drenched in pain, though, right? Right? I mean, if we, we can just put ourselves and, and empathize with Sarah, she is likely to be considered by other people something like a cursed or just that God's unwilling to bless her. Um, people could have believed that God was punishing her. Uh, she maybe was doing something wrong that nobody knew about and this was kind of what she had earned for herself. Um, you know, in, in those times, like a husband could just divorce and depart from his wife. She could be cast out from her in-laws and her family, and there could be so many social difficulties if you're a woman who cannot bear a child. And um need to remind us that right there in the text, even though we read over it really quick, it's been 10 years that they've been in Canaan. 10 years. What were you doing in 2013? Like, I, I, had, uh, I had a buddy who had me pay, like, four months' worth of rent in our apartment in 2013, I guess what I'm not right now waiting for him to call me any day, and say, "Hey, man, I've been praying about 2013. I still, I still owe you some money. The check's on its way." Like that's not. I gave up on that like a week after, you know. He told me that was gonna gonna happen. Um, who who among us? Just just to be honest, like when have we ever received a promise from someone, and we've trusted them to deliver on that promise after 10 years have passed? So. I think she's drifted, just like we drift. Empathize with this woman. Her, her frustration, her, her questioning, her, her doubt, her long-suffering, not to mention her, her really old age, too. And so she makes a suggestion. And can I just say impatience? Like, impatience is the story of our lives. Um, this is a woman who's waiting 10 years. Like, you want to know the culture and the context we live in? Some of you, you order Amazon one day. It doesn't come for two days. You've had it. Why are they still in business? <laughs> like I've, I've told this before, but like Kate and I, we used to have a dispenser in, in our fridge that like the water, you know, in like the brand new Samsung, like purified water dispenser, it would come out kind of slow. So like it was a pain point in my life to like go to this thing and have to stand for about 10 extra seconds to get water. Okay, first world problems. This is is what we live in. And and so impatience, it just kind of rules our our life. And here's here's the thing. Um, Our impatience, it doesn't often lead us, think about your life, to like letting go of something. It literally does the opposite. Our impatience in any situation typically leads us to tighten our grip on something. Like we want to solve it, we want to fix it, We want to find a solution to it. We don't want it to be a problem anymore. We have a struggle with control. We want to control things. This is the story of our life. It's true of us since the garden. And so Sarah is in this situation. She makes a suggestion. And then I want us to continue reading. You might say it gets a little juicy, okay? Verse 4. So Abram went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, that's Sarai, and Sarai said to Abram, quote, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But thank goodness, church, Abram comes in to de-escalate the situation, honor Hagar here's what he says behold your servant is in your power do to her as you please then Sarai dealt harshly with her and Hagar fled from her now I know some of you these are your these are some of your favorite parts of scripture you love the drama this is like real real housewives right here in your bible Um, but I just want to get us into the heart of, of this situation Um, It's really, really sad. This decision made out of impatience, made out of drift, it it implodes. And it involves the sin of all parties involved. It gets really, really messy. There is arrogance and pride in Hagar because now she is a more esteemed woman who is blessed and she bears a seed for offspring. Um, It involves really painful envy and bitterness and anger in Sarai. You know what else it involves? It involves really startling passivity, apathy in Abram. You two can just figure it out. And don't miss this, it gets bad enough, the treatment harsh enough that Hagar runs away. She flees. So just think about this. There goes Abram's heir. There goes the surrogate. This the thing done apart from God's wisdom doesn't end up delivering the outcome that they think that it would. This would not seem like a good decision in hindsight. And it's, it's in these moments when we've made a bad decision because we've not been in a good place that we're faced with something. We face a really big temptation. And the temptation is this, to just escape and hope we can figure it out. It's just to run away. It's just to hide ourselves. It's just... It's to do anything we can to to try to remove ourselves from whatever mess we've created and just pray that it by osmosis figures itself out and then we can eventually come back to it. And I wanna just be a voice this morning that says, no, 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 it's in these moments that God does his best work. It's in the moments when we've messed something up that God does his very best work in us. There's so many testimonies in this room where you had the choice, run, flee, flee. Get away from the situation or lean in, take ownership, listen to the voice of God. And you're so glad you did the latter. Some of you could say it saved my life, saved my marriage. This is leading now to something that happens by way of an interaction between God and Hagar. And we have to realize there, there's a, re, a reason that this text is in our Bibles. God has gone to great lengths to see to it that we today in 2023 in this gym would read this story and see a picture of who our God is. And so I want you to pick it up with me in verse 7. The angel of the Lord, this is a theophany, this is an appearance of God, found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. That means she's going back to Egypt. She's going back to what she knows. She's going back to her old self, what she's comfortable with, where she's familiar. Verse eight, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Uh, This won't be up on the screen, but the angel of the Lord continues. I just want to read this. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. We'll deal with Ishmael in future Sundays, but listen to this. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. This isn't ordinary, church. This is just an amazing moment. Do you want to know why? It's because Hagar ain't a man. She ain't no patriarch. She ain't Hebrew. She's just somebody. She's as ordinary as you can find, and yet God draws near and he makes a promise to her. Do do you understand how much of an unfathomable blessing this would feel like to her? This is such an amazing portion of scripture because uh, she has to realize in these moments, wow, God isn't distant. God's close, you know, um, one of the most, it is, it's on the top of the list, it's one of the most painful things uh, in pastoral ministry is um, people that you meet who are, like, participating in the life of the church and they seem happy and, and healthy. Um, they are serving in some capacity They're giving of of their time. They're showing up to some of the events. Their kids are involved and City Light kids and City Light students and um, everything seems to just exhibit growth and joy in their walk and then they just disappear. There's um, no finding them and it's all because of silent suffering. There are like horrible things, terrible things happening behind the scenes in their life. They're in a situation, they've been thinking thoughts, they've had arguments and conflict, they hate their job, they're just miserable. And they don't want to talk to anybody about it. I just want you to know that like in our middle class culture, we have mastered this. Do y'all understand this? Like, we, we have gotten so good at showing our best and concealing our worst. And honestly, a lot of times, other people don't hear about trial or conflict or pain in that person or those people's lives until after the fact, because they just go into hiding. They, they, try, to, they try to escape until they can show up healthy. And in doing so, they're, like, trying to deal with darkness In darkness, no one sees them, feels like no one knows us, no one hears our crying, our anger, our sorrow, no one bears witness just straight up to the humiliating, even embarrassing parts of our lives, the parts that make us quite human, like everybody else. Wear a Sunday smile when you show up, but hide the the conflict, hide the depression, hide the the fear, the anxiety that's just wrought up in you. Hide, 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 and especially, especially if it's compounded with shame because um, it's something you caused or you contributed to or you're walking in the aftermath of a decision that you made. Like, don't bring that to bear on anybody else. Like, that's your problem to deal with by yourself in isolation. Hide. I want you to know that's not your own voice in your head, and that's not God's voice. That's the voice of the evil one. That is a satanic, demonic voice that says, get away from everything, wait till you're better, and then come back to the place where people are better. That's not the church. The church is a place of weak people. The church is a hospital for people who are sick. The church is where people come in and, by virtue of being a Christian, are saying, I have nothing. I've messed things up. Sin has reared its ugly head in my life. I'm not great. I'm not perfect. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is so gracious. Jesus is so good to me. Jesus is so merciful. Jesus is so loving and kind to me. This is the testimony that we share. I want you to know there is a really, really debilitating power in one question that we ask internally in our lives. And we can do it for years. And it's this. If they really knew me, What would they think? If they knew it all, what would they think? And having that question in our minds all the time, coming up with our own answers to it, can be one of the most damning things in our life. It keeps us in darkness. It keeps us from bringing everything into the light it literally hampers the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life like nothing else can. Typically, when we withhold from people, it's a strong signal, don't miss this, that we are actually trying to also withhold from God himself. And one of the biggest lies that we believe, it's one of Satan's easiest tactics, is that you can cover stuff up in front of God. You can escape from his presence You can hide things from him. You can keep God blind to things. Can I exhort us as a church this morning, stop running. Start surrendering. Do you know why? Because God is there. Unchanging fact of life. God is there. God sees, God knows, and God loves. And you know what? He's not just, he's not But some of y'all realize that, like, I need to hear this myself. God's not just there watching you like you're an experiment in a lab where he's just observing. Like, that's not what it means to have his presence. His presence is a presence that's invested in you. It's a presence that's, Christian, it's bought you with a price. It's a presence that, that loves you. It's a presence that's warm towards you. It's a presence that enjoys you. It's a presence that longs for you to be healed. It's a presence that honestly wants so much more than sometimes we think we're allowed to want from that presence. Child of God, stop running from your father. Let him be who he is. He is the hound of heaven. He loves you. He wants to teach you and train you. He wants to hunt you down and bring life where there's death. He wants to bring truth where there's lies that you're believing. He wants to bring comfort where there's affliction. He wants to bring hope, like real, sure hope where there's not hope right now. This is who our God is. And listen, we have a choice. We can run or we can meet with God in the places where we've pushed everyone else out. God can meet us there. It doesn't matter if it's your sin, someone else's sin. God is merciful and kind. I I love like on this side of the cross, right? The gospel is such good news because it's the story of a God who loves us despite us. It's the story of a God who died for sinners. Like while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul, uh, the apostle, he writes in the book of Ephesians a couple times to Christians, mind you, these are people who are already born again. They, They already are filled with the spirit. They already believe in Jesus. And here's what he writes. He says, I'm praying for you. And here's what the prayer is that you would have an increasing spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the eyes of your heart, those eyes that you have that don't just see material things in front of you, but the eyes that you have that see all spiritual realities, all of the heavenlies, that those would be enlightened. They would be opened up so that you might see the hope that you have in Jesus. He prays again elsewhere. He says, hey, I've made my home in you. I'm praying that you would be strengthened by the spirit in your inner being that the word of Christ may dwell in you richly and that you would have strength to comprehend what is the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Oh, church, that me, we might rejoice this morning having the eyes of our hearts enlightened even just to the depth of God's sacrificial love for us. Did you know that Jesus, for the joy set before him, he saw you and every filthy thing you've done and thought, all the things about which you feel guilt and shame. And you know what he also saw? All the things that we don't do that he's commanded us to do all the ways we don't even lift our finger in compassion and kindness and love toward others. And he willingly accepted all of the depth of that when he went to the cross in love. This is God's love for you. My question is, do you see it? If you know that kind of a God, where are you gonna run when things get hard? If you don't know that kind of a God, Who are you gonna run from when things get difficult? Run to the Father. We need to grasp that Jesus can fill us afresh with a stirring in our spirit, more wisdom, more revelation, more of God, more of our eyes seeing. Like right now, we don't see the way that God would will us to see. Did you know that? There's always more clarity that we can have, but it comes through closeness. And I just wanna say this should characterize the church. The church should be a place where we do not give the evil one ground to draw us away from one another in isolation. The church should be a place where we come in and we're free to not have it figured out. We can join a group and bear some pain. We can confess things to a pastor. We can pray and we can ask God to minister to us together. We can sign up for care and have someone meet with us and just listen to what we're walking through. It's possible. And here's the thing uh, this unforgettable, timely, personal moment that God's having with Hagar, uh, it gives her reassurance, comfort, perspective, but maybe most surprisingly, it gives her a command to go back. How often have you met with God in deep places and you're surprised to find out, hmm, God, you disagree with me on how I'm supposed to go about this right now. (laughs) All the time! Who knows better? Who knows better? Us or God? It's him. You know, he actually loves us more than anyone else does or could. He's out for our best. He's wise. He has all knowledge. He created us and knit us together. He's so invested in our life. We ought to listen to him speak. And when he does, when he does and when breakthrough happens, we get a picture in verse 13 of worship. It leads Hagar to praise. And this is so awesome. Look at verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. You know what's so significant about that verse in your Bible? That is the only time in the Old Testament where someone names God. I don't know if you heard me. That's the only time in the Old Testament, male or female, where someone does that. It's not unusual for people to give names to family members or to to, to a sacred site or to animals. We've seen that so far in Genesis, but right now, people never name their God with the exception of Hagar, the slave girl from Egypt. And she's naming God, she's saying, You are a God of seeing. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever experienced God in the valley? Like, life sucked, hope is drained, there's doubt. Like, your faith is low. You thought the story was gonna be different. You thought the situation was gonna be different. You're asking questions like, did I marry the right person? They're not who I thought they were. You're thinking, I thought this was the right career path. I'm not as capable as I thought I was. You're struggling right now with loss that you never, ever thought that you would have to endure. You had to say goodbye to people that you love. You're in a place you never thought you'd be in and nobody at church knows because your pride can't take the hit and you're supposed to have it figured out. You're supposed to be okay. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be smart. You're supposed to know the solution and you end up saying and doing stuff that only makes matters worse. You end up preaching things to yourself that are not true. They're coming from you and your lack of wisdom. And it becomes this perpetual cycle over and over and over again. Listen, there's nothing like being in a bad place where you've said or done something that you regret. Your drift from God when you hit a wall has led you to say or do something that you would not have done otherwise. And you're in a valley and you've been stuck in besetting sin that isn't just addiction, but it's harming other people and it's making you despair. There's nothing like being there and God meets you there. I will never forget, and some of you have heard this story before, um, how quietly depressed I was, the worst I've ever been, and nobody knew about it back in the year 2017. I was in ministry. I was working with college students. Uh, the outside looking in, like if you looked at me and Kate's Facebook, cute couple doing their thing. He's, he can, you know, Teach a little bit, and he's like leading a student to Christ here and there. I'm taking selfies. It's great, right? And I I have favor at the church that I'm at, and and I love my job. But but I'm in a season where I'm like, guys, I am church. I'm 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 eating cheddar popcorn every night, sipping on some George Dickel rye whiskey, and watching suits like binging it every night. Like I'm not in a good place. Okay. It reminds me of when I got sick, when I got diagnosed a couple years ago, a few years ago. And, and, um, like, I did not respond the way that the most godly person would respond. I bought bought a high school kid's Xbox in Bennington. (laughs) And just so I could play some Call of Duty. Like, I did not lean in at first, okay? I wasn't in a healthy place. And everything around me was great. I had godly people telling me, hey... Uh, like I guess I should give a a, tell you the story so I'm I wanted to leave ministry I, I got to a place where I was just mad at my church I was mad at people I was ministering to I was mad at my staff I was just mad you ever just been mad I'm just mad all the time mad and I thought you know what I'll get vindicated uh, I'll vindicate myself I'll prove that I I know what's best and so I go to the the pastors the leaders at at Christ Community and I tell them hey I'm leaving like this is my notice I'm going to finish like a few things here I'm going into sales consulting I got a job over here I'm flying to Chicago to get training I am gonna start making some money like I this is this is God's new call on my life it was not it was not But if you would have sat, like anybody, even the people that I admire and respect the most, would have sat across the table from me at that time and told me that, I wouldn't have listened. I wouldn't have listened. And I was in a terrible place where my heart was so far from God. Can I just tell you, I was not seeking God. I wasn't having any quiet times. I was not a prayerful man. I was not a repentant man. Like everything revolved around me. I was throwing a pity party We've all been there. I needed something to just wake me up, something to, to shake me. I was in a terrible place and I was deciding to make some of the most important decisions in my life while there. It did not go well for me. Okay? I, I remember like a few months later, like the sales consulting was fine. I liked the work. I was just unhappy. I had walked away from a clear calling on my life that a lot of people tried to warn me about. And I remember crawling back into the church and I experienced God in such a unique way through his people. Like, I come back into Christ's community and and Mark, the lead pastor, Nancy, who was my boss at the time, a bunch of people, students, college students, they were so forgiving, so gracious, even though they had experienced the worst of me in bitterness and anger and half-heartedness for months. I was on my way out, filled with pride, I tell us this because um, a lot of us, we we have a, a kind of a, a, a pattern of growth in our lives. It's common to all people. Here it is. It, it's usually like six steps. Okay, I should make it really brief. One is awakening. Like you maybe are right now not a Christian in the room. And and I'm just telling you by faith, there's going to be a time when something awakens in you, you see Jesus, that he actually is God, that he actually did die to atone for sin, he can actually forgive you, he can actually dwell in you, you can have eternal life, he can be your savior, he can be your Lord, like you're gonna realize that, that's step number one and many of us have been there. There's an awakening and what typically follows that is hunger, like I, I, I need intellectual stimulation because I wanna know God. Like I wanna know what's the church I wanna know this and what does this teach me and what does this say about how I'll lead my life? We've all been there, right? And step number three is like, I wanna join a local church. I wanna get involved in, in the body of Christ and what God's doing. I wanna serve. Like, I wanna get up here and sing and use a skill that I have. I wanna help with kids. I wanna invest in students. And then, and then here's what happens. Sometimes in life, a lot of people in our church aren't, aren't here but maybe have been here for a long time. Like in America, we start at a young age and there's always a next step. There's a next grade, there's a next, then you graduate and there's a next thing and then some of us, we graduate from that, we get married and the next thing is to have kids, next thing is to have another kid and then, you know, some of you, what happens is we hit a place where we've reached, we've got all that, we've got the house, we have the job, there's not a ton of like promotion left and we hit a wall. Like there's this big fog, this wall that we hit and it's called hardship and it's called boredom And it's called lack of fulfillment. And it's called pain and suffering. It's called trial. And what we do typically is we hit that wall and we think in our mind the best thing to do is just to bounce back to what I knew before. Like I just need to read more books. I just need to get more intellectual stimulation. I probably need to sign up to serve even more in the church, get myself around God's people even more. I need to do more and more and more. And to be honest, what's waiting in that wall is for you to push through it and experience God. In ways that you've never experienced him before. Hey, you know, Hagar, she sees God, she says, You are the God of seeing. In our life, like there's things where we 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 can walk through the wall, and on the other side, the testimony that we share is: This is who I know. This is the God that I know. He is my Redeemer. He is my healer. He is my sustainer. That's who God is. And we need to keep repeating it to ourselves over and over and over again because we are forgetful. You know what's waiting on the other side of the wall? It's ministry to people, not out of duty, but out of an overflow. Because God has actually met you in a real place. You've experienced him in a real way. And now the way that people are engaging with you is like, who is this? Who does this, how, how has this person changed? And the person, all, the, all we have to do is declare, I've met Jesus. I've met God. And I haven't just come to know him through words on a page. I've come to know him through my life's experience and his deliverance. I've come to know him because he's spoken in seasons and in places that were really hard and really difficult and he's ministered to me. This is the good news of Christianity, is reconciliation to God, friendship with him, walking with him in intimacy. Jesus in John says this is eternal life, to know God, to know Jesus. He's closer than a brother. Church, God's desire is not to be a distant deity, God's desire in our lives is not to be a moral set of principles or distant idea or a higher power that we appease on a weekly basis by showing up to church. He has made himself accessible and approachable and so close to us. Child of God, every day he's saying, I am near. I'm here. Every day he's drawing close. He's saying, you are my beloved. I like you. I love you. I enjoy you Why are we living like this isn't true? Church, isn't it time that we live like God is our friend? Isn't it time that we sense his compassion for us, that we hear his voice in this way? Isn't it time we realize that life is abundant and it's rich and it's what it was meant to be when we walk in faith like this? Don't complicate this. Here's just a word of application Pray more. (laughs) You want to know what prayer is? Prayer is connecting our nothingness to God's everything. That's prayer. It's coming humbly before God and saying, God, would you meet me here? Like, say something, speak something. You know how much he ministers to us? You know how rich this is, how much of a guard this is, how delightful this is, how beautiful this is, how wise this is, how much of a treasure this is to us? Our life can be so different in Jesus. In this entire episode of chapter 16, it's just an amazing picture of a God who takes our blunders, he takes our sin, he works even those things all things together for the good of those who love him. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. And so might we be a church that embodies God through Galatians 6-2, that we would bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Would this be a place where people from every background, are welcomed into the loving arms of Jesus, not hiding, not running, not fleeing, but drawing near to a throne of grace. Let me pray for us. God, I simply wanna ask that you would give us closeness with you afresh. Give us a fresh stirring and filling of your spirit. Open the eyes of our hearts today, Jesus help us to know you in such a way that we would call you by name, that we would say, here's who you've been to me. God, praise you. And God, in our closeness with you, would we have great faith that clarity comes? Would the next decision, I just sense there's people in the room right now are getting ready to do something, getting ready to act on something, getting ready to say or communicate something, getting ready to react in a certain way, even to something this morning, And God, you're saying, hold on, wait on me, draw close to me, sense my presence, hear from me and then react, then decide, then choose. God, you're so protective of us. Thank you that in closeness, we get clarity. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. Amen.